when all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance. And Moses said, You speak to us and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Then the people stood at a distance while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord God, as we gather today, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight and give you glory. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So in 37 years of preaching, I've never given a sermon on the Ten Commandments, but they are central to our faith. Many of us were exposed to them as children and perhaps even memorized them. They are the Old Testament lectionary selection for today, so I think it's about time. First, a bit of background. It's fair to say that the Ten Commandments are the highest expression of God's will for humanity And equally important, they grow out of God's love and commitment to us as human creatures, as special objects of God's attention and affection. I am the Lord, your God, they begin, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Thus, the Ten Commandments are the product of a pre-existing relationship. They are not simply rules stuck on a refrigerator magnet or displayed at the entrance of a public park or pool with do's and don'ts of behavior. They are an expression of God's love for us and they call forth our love for God. The Ten Commandments are given to all the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai and they are surrounded by signs of God's revelation. Dense cloud, thunder, lightning, trumpet sound, fire and smoke, even the shaking of the earth. Yet they are spoken directly to all the people, unmediated by Moses in their initial giving. The giving of the Ten Commandments is in fact the only occasion in the entire Old Testament in which God speaks directly to all the people. All other times, God speaks through Moses or prophets or other leaders. Even though their giving is marked by high drama, the commandments themselves are clear and simple. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not kill. You shall not steal. They are not tied to any period in Israel's history or to any institution such as the synagogue or temple. They are not therefore tied to any period in our history. They are universal for all times and places. Ways of following the commandments and consequences for not following them are not specified within the commandments themselves, leaving each commandment to be heard, studied, interpreted, codified, and lived out 
in each historical period in each human life. They thus present maximum freedom and maximum responsibility for each of us in our time and place as individuals and as community. Later generations in Israel summed up the commandment in this way, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus took this summary and it was he who added the affirmation from Leviticus, tying love of God with love of neighbor. Before he died, Moses once said of the Ten Commandments, What other nation has a God so near and statutes and ordinances so just? God breathes through the Ten Commandments and they are near for us as well. So let's walk through them in the briefest of ways. This won't be a three points and a poem sermon. There weren't just three commandments. There were ten, but we will get through them. It didn't take as long as the early service as I thought, which is always relative. You shall have no other gods before me. When I heard this commandment as a child, I thought it was a bit odd. I hadn't ever heard of any other gods. I didn't believe in any other gods. I believed in the God I heard about in church and Sunday school. This focus on other gods seemed a bit out of place for me. But then I learned that this commandment does not deny the existence of other gods. But what it does is call us to focus on the God we know. Other gods, existent or not, don't matter. The God we know calls us to singularity of focus. Purity of heart is to will one thing, said Kierkegaard centuries later. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. I first memorized this as graven image, which we heard in the prayer of confession. And again, this seemed quite foreign to me. I didn't do woodworking as a child. I couldn't even make play animals out of Play-Doh as a child. And when I had a brief foray into scouts, my attempt at Pinewood Derby was an absolute disaster. I was not about to make a God out of a graven, a graven image of a God. But when I learned that idol can be translated image, graven or not, the commandment came to life for me. Because you see, I am a person of images. I have an image of what it means to be male. An image of what it means to be husband and father and son, and brother. I have an image of what it means to be friend. My life is filled with images. An image of what it means to be a minister. 
an image of what it means to be a citizen of the United States, an image of what it means to be a person who doesn't have to worry what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we put on. My mind is filled with images of what it means to live near our nation's capital, to be a part of a people free and prosperous, to be successful, to be a Christian, to be a human being. I still don't put religious trinkets on my shelf or dashboard. I don't engage in religious rituals in my office, but I live by images that define me and some of them become false distorted, misshapen. You shall not make for yourself a false image. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God. Like many of you, I first learned this commandment as thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And I knew like you that it meant I should not swear or curse. Or if I did, at least not attach the name of God to one of my words of invective. But when I became a minister, I began to counsel people. Some of whom were women some of whom had been counseled by other ministers, even if your husband abuses you, even if he hits you, stay with him. For God will save him through you. I also began to notice that when some people were running for public office or endorsing those who were, they would invoke the name of God with a certainty concerning political positions or sometimes even candidates that seemed to me at least to be open for discussion and reasonable disagreement among people of good character and principles. So when years ago I learned that taking the name of the Lord in vain could rightly be translated misusing the name of the Lord, I knew that I had seen such misuse by clergy, by people in political life. And I was glad this commandment called me to something greater than holding my tongue or watching my language Whenever I let a ground ball slide under my first baseman's mitt into the outfield. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This wording was always the same and I thought it meant that Sunday was set aside for church, which I didn't mind because I had good experiences in church like a child, kind of like we have here at Westminster. It was something we did as a family and we could still work in the yard or watch a golf tournament or go to the movies afterwards. But when I learned that this commandment focuses, as Casey said, more on rest than worship, it caught my attention in a new way. Rest for a whole day? 
Not working for one whole day out of seven days. Because that's what God did at creation. A whole day for rest. I've got a ways to go on that one. Honor your father and mother. I didn't have trouble with this commandment as a child, but again, when I became a pastor, I heard people tell me stories of their fathers or mothers or both who did things, terrible things, not worthy of honor. I was glad to learn that the Hebrew root for honor is the same as the Hebrew root for heavy, weighty, serious. This commandment can mean take your father and mother seriously. Even if it means coming to terms with ways they may not have been worthy of the parental office they occupied. It can mean take your experience of your parents seriously. And it can mean take their needs seriously. Particularly when they age. It's a whole new way of thinking about honor. You shall not murder. I don't know what to do with this one, especially this week. Murder is the correct translation, not the more familiar kill. For this commandment is about the taking of one life by another. The taking of many lives by another. I believe I've shared with you before that I came to that I came face to face with murder early in my ministry. When I conducted the wedding of a girl in my senior high youth group right after she graduated from high school. A year later, she called me when her husband was missing. A few days later, after his body was found in an adjacent county and it was all over the news, she asked to meet me in my office at night. And she confessed without any signs of remorse that she had hired his killing and watched a fellow factory worker carry it out. I was 28 years old at the time. I'd been a minister a little less than three years. It shook me. It affected me. It left me deeply aware of the reality, indeed intractability, of evil. All of us are still trying to sort out the murders we have seen on a mass scale in our country from Columbine, which was 18 years ago, to Las Vegas six days ago. In addition to the lives they take, these murders kill our soul. They kill our faith. They kill our national spirit. They set us, 
one against another as if we don't already have plenty to set us one against another. If these murders are to be figured out and stopped, then we must figure them out and stop them. They are tearing us apart to say nothing of the lives they take and the families they leave behind. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. I know that some marriages survive adultery. I know that some people commit it, are forgiven, and never commit it again. I know that some people commit it time and time again. And I know that some people violate marriages that exist in name only. Marriage has taken many forms in human history. It's relatively recent in history that romantic love and emotional fulfillment have become the central purpose and defining characteristics of a good marriage. No society can thrive in which the most intimate of human relationships does not have at its base trust, faithfulness, truthfulness, fidelity. If adultery is something you have experienced, forgiven or been forgiven of, such forgiveness is an event of grace calling for a response of gratitude. If adultery is something you are feeling yourself drawn toward or into, then I urge you to have the courage to ask, to ask yourself honestly, why? What's going on here? And keep asking, keep asking yourself until you find and face an answer. You owe that to yourself, to your partner, to your children if you have them, to your faith, to your God. You shall not steal. This one's pretty self-evident. But if your stealing is as minor as cheating a bit on your taxes, as not returning something that is not yours, then ask yourself why. Shoplifting is a danger sign at any age, no matter how small the amount taken. Working for a cause or a company that is illegal, that is unjust, that is rapacious, that deserves self-scrutiny as well. Ask yourself why. You shall not bear false witness. I always took this to mean that you shall not lie, and I usually told the truth. Usually. But the setting of this commandment is a courtroom. And part of what God is stressing is the need for an independent judiciary for fair and free trials for a process of justice. 
You shall not lie. You shall not spread false information. You shall not gossip. And you shall not bear false witness, especially in a court of law. And the last one, you shall not covet. All other commandments are about behavior and action. But what's neat about this commandment is that it is about attitude. It's about what goes on in our hearts and in our minds. Perhaps this is why when Jesus talked about the commandments, he summarized them by saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul. Matters of the heart matter. So you all have listened well. I think you deserve, there's been some certain points of heaviness in this sermon. And I think you deserve it, deserve ending it with a little humor. So you may have heard this joke before. I heard it 30-something years ago. A little boy memorizing his catechism. And the day comes for him to go to Sunday school and be quizzed on what he's learned. So he's in a class. There's five or six other kids. There's a foreboding teacher at the front of the room who calls on the little boy. What is the definition of a lie The teacher says, a lie is an abomination in the eyes of God. And a very present help in trouble. (laughs) We're done.